coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida. You're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We are a weekly podcast with new episodes coming out every Tuesday afternoon, which you can listen to whenever you feel like it, because it's a podcast, and hopefully you'll subscribe and give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you like to listen. On today's show, Kevin and I will be talking about the ever-trendy topic of plastic straws. Our guest today will be Ray Smith. He is the owner of Numex Chili, located in the Grand Central District of St. Pete. We'll be talking to Ray about how he got started with Numex, the special hatch chilies, which are the cornerstone of their recipes, and how the restaurant has evolved since it first opened. After that, we'll play our music segment, open our lunchbox, share our tip of the week, and have a gluten-free wrap-up. All of that is coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. So grab a snack, pour a drink, and relax while we serve up the show. Today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast is proudly served up by our launch sponsor, Capital Tacos. Yeah, Capital Tacos, they hit the St. Pete scene a couple of months ago. There were many members in our Facebook group that raved and raved about Capital Tacos. They would drive for miles and miles to go and try their tacos. They're locally grown, their original location being in Land Lakes. So this was a very highly anticipated opening. You know what's so cool? All of their ingredients are made fresh from scratch in-house every day. And I believe that's over 100. Yeah, on one of our visits there, we tried the uh, Austinite taco. So mouth-watering with their house tenderized and marinated grilled steak. It's so good. Yeah, it's carne asada actually is what it is. And and the beef fajita taco is amazing as well. Actually, drop by in September or October and mention you're a listener of the St. Petersburg Foodies podcast, and they'll actually hook you up with some chips and queso on the house. Tacos are all the rage these days. Stop by and see what all the fuss is about for yourself. Capital Tacos is located at 5226 4th Street North in St. Pete. CapitalTacos.com The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. So let's talk about straws. Straws, they are bad for some reasons, but they're not the gigantic evil they're being made out to be really right i mean in 2015 is when the actual anti-straw movement began in the country because a sea turtle i believe it was in the philippines or indonesia or somewhere like that uh, had a straw stuck up his nose someone took a video of the, the removal of the straw and this went viral and everyone just went nuts over it and decided that straws were horrible and evil and we all needed to not use them they extrapolated it out to 
this now equals this gigantic, huge problem of pollution in the oceans that is caused by straws. Straws don't pollute, people pollute. Very correct. They do. Uh, and, and one of my big things about this movement, and it started really here in April of this past year that they started a No Straws St. Pete campaign. I feel like, yes, it makes people feel good. They're doing a good deed. They're doing something good for the environment by giving up a straw. But really, they're still using their plastic bags from the grocery store. Everyone's still bringing their garbage out in a really big single-use plastic bag that gets thrown into the, to the garbage. There's just so much more out there. There's utensils, there's plastic cups, there's plates. For instance, Kevin and I are environmental. Trust me, I recycle. I, do, I have my reusable grocery bags. I do everything that I can on my end to try to help the planet. Yeah, so we're not saying the planet. We don't care. We do. Yes, I just... The, the point is that this whole straw thing is completely overboard beyond belief. Actually, there was an, an article that I read on this um, from Business Insider, and this is a quote from there. Sometimes doing one good thing for the environment can kickstart people into other earth-friendly behaviors. And this is really what the proponents for this movement are saying. Well, we want them to think more about all the plastic that they use. So to go on with the uh, quote, but other studies actually suggest that people might give themselves a pass on changing other behaviors since once they've done the one good deed. That's called a single action bias. Right. The, and the problem is not straws. The problem is straws getting into the ocean, which is not even really a big problem. But let's, let's just say it is for a moment. Let's, let's say that's the problem. So why don't we address the issue of how straws get into the ocean? I guarantee when I have a straw in my drink in a bar in downtown St. Pete, there's zero chance it's going to get into the ocean. And by the way, straws are 0.03% of the ocean trash problem. 0.03, so, yes. Yeah. And, but then uh, we get a response that, well, it's a start or every little bit helps. Uh, that's complete bullshit because this does nothing. It's mindlessly following the crowd because it's the easy thing to do. And it's what humans are programmed to do. Plus, it makes people feel good. Like, hey, we're doing something meaningful, but we're not. So here's my one piece of advice. Stop throwing your trash in the ocean, people. That's people that are at the beach, people, boaters, who are not getting rid of their trash the proper way. And it has zero to do with a server giving Lori a dirty look because she asked for a straw. And that happened, not just once. And that's one of my biggest issues with the way this movement, movement started here in this area. It started almost in a shaming way. In fact, there's actually a website out there called nostrawsstpete.com, and on that website, it literally says this. Talk about it. You might have to tell somebody that they suck, but eventually they'll thank you. You suck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that, that is shaming, and shaming is a form of bullying, and I just don't agree with it. I completely disagree with the way this was presented, I guess is the way you should say it. We were sitting at a bar, I won't name the place, and I asked for a straw, and the bartender literally looked at me and said, oh, shame on you, don't you know about what straws do? And I looked at her and said, oh no, don't you even try that one with me, there's so much you don't know. Yeah, but it's the, the whole campaign was obviously cleverly done, uh, very astutely... Marketed. Yeah, because they were successful 
in getting people into the herd mentality to be lemmings, follow the crowd. And that goes back to caveman days. Human beings are programmed to follow the crowd because back then, if you took a wrong turn, you could have been eaten by something. And so it goes back to that ancient programming. And for restaurants, I completely understand why you would get on board. There's absolutely no reason for you not to get on board. But get on board in the opt-in mentality, not the shaming mentality. Yes, don't just put a straw down at every table. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I don't have a problem asking for a straw as long as I know I'm not going to, and I don't even care if I get shamed these days because I'm armed with, with so much. I've read so much. I know so much about this movement now. But make sure that your employees are not doing that to your customers. Yeah, and I, I bet you that there are at least some restaurants out there that have the little poster up and that are not handing out plastic straws because they were shamed into doing it. Like they don't want to be the they don't want to be the bad restaurant that didn't follow the crowd. Right. So let's talk about what happens to the garbage at the end of the day from the restaurant. It goes to the most state of the art waste energy facility in southeastern America. I thought they were putting it on a boat and driving out into the middle of the ocean and dumping it. <laughs> well, people will argue and there are arguments. Well, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but our waste treatment facility, the Pinellas County Solid Waste, is one of the state-of-the-art waste energy facilities out there. A 90%, 90% of the garbage that goes there is burned. And that includes plastics. Not all waste-to-energy facilities or incinerators are set up to be able to burn plastic, but ours is. I could go into all the technical details, but it is all available for you on the site, Pinellas County Solid Waste website. If you disagree and, and, and still want more information, call them and set up a tour and go look at it for yourself. It's really pretty fantastic that, that all of that is taken care of. Unfortunately, if you really look at it and you really look into it, it kind of makes the idea of recycling, we're like, well, why are we even recycling? Because it's getting burned anyway, and it's being converted to energy that's sold to Duke Energy. See all that time you wasted recycling stuff all these years? I still do it. Yeah, just in case it actually does get recycled. Yeah. It's a good idea. But I actually found statistics in more than one article I read that said that truly only 9% of the plastics, even the ones we recycle and sort into different bins, only 9% actually truly gets recycled. It's really kind of sad. You want to talk about sad? Let's talk about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Yes, it's, it's the size of France, supposedly. But doesn't have any good cheese. No. No. <laughs> No good cheese. It's it's interesting because single-use plastics is really what we're talking about. Just one word. Plastics. I mean, we're talking about straws today, but single-use plastics are what really make up the garbage patch. In fact, 46% of that Great Pacific garbage patch is made up of plastic fishing nets that have been left by fishermen and abandoned in, in the oceans. And... Not too many straws, actually. No, no. Straws make up such a small amount of it. And let's really talk about where that is coming from. I mean, we're nowhere near the Pacific Ocean the last time I checked. Florida doesn't have any ocean around it that starts with a P. But around 90% of the plastics in the oceans come from just 10 rivers. Eight of them are in Asia. Two of them are in Africa. So banning plastic here in America will have little measurable effect on pollution worldwide. 
It's really, as Kevin said before, the improper disposal of, of plastic that needs to be addressed worldwide. It's really, it's coming from these third world countries that do not have state-of-the-art facilities. They do not have waste plants set up to dispose of their trash properly. So it all ends up in the, in the rivers. The Yangtze, Yangtze, is that how you say it? Y-A-N-G-T-Z-E <laughs> river is the number one polluter of the oceans. So we're going to call bullshit. Honestly, these are the things that aren't being talked about. These are the statistics that you're not getting, that you're not hearing. Going back to what we were talking about, we'll go back to straws now and kind of wrap this up. But just another example, the oft-cited claim, and it was popularized by a recycling company called EcoCycle, that Americans use 500 million plastic straws per day really came from a survey conducted by a nine-year-old named Milo Kress. He surveyed three different straw manufacturers to get their estimations of the size of the straw market. That's where that number comes from, a nine-year-old. Damn kids. <laughs> but market analysts actually put daily straw usage closer to 175 million per day. Granted, that's still a large number. But as we've discussed, 0.03% of the straws are actually part of the Pacific, Great Pacific Garbage Patch or ocean pollution, however you want to look at it. Yeah, and that 175 million, half of that's just you. Oh, very funny, honey. <laughs> so, I mean, in conclusion, I'm all in for environmental health and, and making this world a better place. But I'm all in for the opt-in model of this straw movement, meaning, yeah, you don't have to put a straw down at everybody's table, but provide straws to those who ask and do not shame them or even assess them for disabilities. If they ask for a straw, provide it happily with a smile. We should do the same with all single-use plastics, in my opinion. Make reuse a habit, and then it becomes easier to handle. That may seem like something new, but it's what our parents and our grandparents used to do. On the West Coast, people bring their own to-go containers to restaurants if they know that they typically don't finish their meal. This I am totally willing to do, and it makes a much bigger statement. But if you don't do that, you should never be shamed. Lead by example, not by forcing others to conform. And by the way... Lori has a whole set of metal straws that she bought. I do. I use them at home. <laughs> and hit the spot. So we'd love to hear your thoughts, too. You can send us an email at info at stpetersburgfoodies.com, leave a comment on our webpage at stpetersburgfoodies.com, or comment on social media at any of our uh, sites on Facebook or on Instagram. <laughs> Have you been to Anata lately? If you haven't, you really must go. Kevin and I hadn't been for a while and recently rediscovered it, and it's just blowing our minds. The menu's fantastic. Everybody thinks of cheese and charcuterie when they think of Anata. They do a fantastic presentation, and it's always amazing, but I would really recommend branching out and trying some of this stuff off of the menu. Recently, we had the uh, tuna tartare, and it's some of the best I've ever had. They put it atop a seaweed salad, and that just balances it out. And they have these little crisps on top. It's just amazing. They always do a wonderful job with the octopus appetizer as well. And then we tried the oxtail tortelloni the last time we were there. And it was just superb. But on my list next is the short rib bolognese. And I can't wait to try that. The only reason I haven't tried it yet is because the specials have always been too good to pass up. If you haven't been, you definitely must go to Anata. Anata Wine Bar is located at 300 Beach Drive in downtown St. Petersburg. They open every day at 4 p.m. You really must go to Anata. Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. 
Today, we're joined by Ray Smith, the owner of Numex Chili. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. So what's your take on the straws thing? You know, I don't want to get too political on it, but I think, you know, in, in, in a nutshell, you know, if they can pull together and get some things going and get the community involved, I think it could be a good thing. But, you know, uh, at New Mex Chili, we, we still offer the straws there. Um, we do sell metal straws as well. So we're trying to support in a way that we can. But, you know, it's really going to, it's going to take a community and a lot more than that to kind of pull things together and I think make this happen. Okay. Well, we, we appreciate your opinion. Absolutely. Without getting too political. Right. Right, Exactly. (laughs) Got to be careful about that. So uh, tell us a little about yourself, uh, your background, and what led you to where we are today. You know, pretty much I grew up, or basically came from Detroit, Michigan, Motown, and I came down to uh, Pinellas when I was five. I grew up in Clearwater. I went to Clearwater High, graduated in with 95 me. with Lori. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, just, I didn't graduate just... in 95. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after graduating high school, I went to college for a year. Uh, didn't really stem out too well in college. It just wasn't for me. My background as far as uh, growing up, I did a lot of construction, hospitality growing up. When I was 22, I actually ended up moving out to Denver, Colorado to manage a concept, Hops Microbrewery, which is no longer in existence. So I was out there for five years, love, love Colorado. It's awesome out there. And ended up coming back to St. Pete in 2004 and got my real estate license. Right now, it's pretty much the bulk of what I do outside of Numex. And that's commercial? Uh, I started off doing low-income Section 8 housing. And then in 2013, I started uh, purchasing commercial buildings around the area in St. Pete. Mm-hmm. And land, a little bit of land. Right. So you're, you're kind of doing it for investment yeah, purposes. Correct. Yeah, correct. I just pretty much buy and sell properties. Right. When I started in 2004, for the first five years, the market kind of crashed. It was going up in 2004 or five, And then in 2007, we saw a huge decline, which you know, we probably won't ever see again in our lifetime. Um, in 2009, I, I noticed the market was pretty much at the low of the low. And I saw a great opportunity to start my own business, my own real estate investment business, and kind of take advantage of what was going on here in the marketplace. That's actually when I got my license was 2009. 2009. So So then what led you to the restaurant business? So I purchased the building which houses Numex right now in 2000, I think it was 15. At the time, I was just going to renovate the apartments in the back and put my office in the front. But with the perks that they had in the Grand Central District for cafes, small cafes and retail, anything 1,200 square feet or less, they, they waive your parking, your sprinklers, and your impact fee switching from uh, retail to restaurant. So I took an opportunity to look into it a little bit more and develop, which is now Numex. I had an idea, which coming from Colorado, I fell in love with green chili. And so at the time, I didn't really know how it was going to play out, but I knew that I wanted to infuse green chilies in a menu somehow. Yeah, that's the, the Hatch Chili. Yeah, the Hatch Green Chili, yeah, from Hatch Valley. So you never actually lived in New Mexico. It was Colorado no, yeah. where you fell in love. Yeah, I, I never, never lived in New Mexico. Um, so basically, the chilies grow mainly in New Mexico along the Rio Grande, and they go into the tip of Colorado, which is Pueblo. Uh, what you'll do is you'll have kind of chili wars out there from Colorado to New Mexico, and who's got the best chili in it? And it, it, it even holds true in New Mexico where uh, they have wars over the northern chili and the southern chili uh, to see who has the best chili. So in Colorado, they do chili a little bit different. It's more like a brown style chili. Um, they put tomatoes and pork in it where 
in New Mexico, they kind of do just the uh, onions, garlic, and salt, which is with water. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Colorado is where I, I fell in love with green chili. And, and honestly, at the time, I didn't even know that chilies existed in New Mexico, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do. Yeah, and it's still, an, it's still an education process, you know, with the concept that we have and exploring uh, St. Pete and just kind of getting the word out about the Hatch green chili. Yeah, and it's like, uh, it's like the Napa Valley. Yeah, so Napa chilies. Valley of chilies, for sure. And that's the best way to explain it to people. It's just the, the soil. Um, the conditions that where it grows and the water from the Rio Grande, the minerals that come off the mountains that grow these chilies. And, and you got to remember that they only harvest three months out of the year. It starts off green, and that's where you get the green sauce. And then around in probably, what is it, August, September, end of September, it starts turning red. So the, it starts to ripen a little bit mm-hmm. more, and that's where you get your red sauce from. It's very similar to grapes. Exactly, grapes, bell peppers, mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, same species, mm-hmm. for sure. And the, the hatch chilies, uh, when you call it a hatch chili, that's actually a very specific chili from a specific area. And in the past, there were some distributors that were getting chilies from around there and calling them hatch. And to solve that problem, they're now certified. Correct. They certified, I think it was in like 2010, 2011, they started the certification process for the farmers and just making sure that they were approved and make sure that everybody has that stamp before they start sending it out. One thing that I learned when I went out to the very first visit I made to New Mexico was the Hatch Green Chili Festival. And so basically my, my idea was to figure out how do I get Hatch Green Chili to St. Pete at a, at, a, at a price point that makes sense to where I can infuse it into a menu. So when I went out to Hatch Valley for the festival, it's amazing you go out there and there's just um, these roasters roasting everywhere you go and the smell. And you got to remember Hatch Valley is only a mile in d- diameter. So obviously all these wow. chilies don't grow in this mile in diameter. So what you got to remember is they, they allocate farms outside of Hatch Valley uh, where they're certified to grow the Hatch chili. And outside of that, everybody else is New Mexico grown, certified. So you learn that very quick. And as I was going through the festival and talking to all the farmers, uh, all the vendors out there, uh, you kind of learn who's who of the industry. Um, and a lot of people out there, it's a really small kind of, uh, farming community out there. So you got to remember, there's only one big player in the market, and it was Bueno Foods. And that's who I figured out how to get the chili out to St. Pete at a price point that makes sense. They were hooked up with Cisco. So that made it pretty easy to get the chili out here. In the beginning, I actually went with a company called Santa Fe Seasonings, where I got my chili from. Uh, they actually, they don't even freeze their chili. So what happens is the first, after the three months is done, you can't grow the chili anymore. So what happens is they freeze the chili till next year. So a lot of places, what they started doing is putting the lime juice in the chili and storing it in jugs. And you have a two-year shelf life on these chilies in the jug or be it frozen. So you can really um, get the longevity from the chili and still get a good taste you know, from it. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I also like that you decided to do something new and different that's not already in St. Pete. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of the things, too. And, you know, when I went out to New Mexico, again, knowing that I wanted to bring infused green chili maybe into an American-style menu or something of the sorts, when I went out to New Mexico and experienced the culture probably down the eighth, ninth time that I was out there, I ended up hooking up with a cooking school in Santa Fe, and they kind of showed me the ropes on a lot of things, too. But I just fell in love with the culture. 
it's so so dynamic out there and everybody is just for everybody and it's such a they live and die by the green chili and i wish that i could i'm trying to convey that experience that i had out there with saint pete and other areas and you don't find the menu that we did and we're, we're still expanding on the menu but i wanted to bring back the staples to saint pete that i, that I saw out in new mexico because uh, it's just a, such a great community out there. And I want to bring the chili and expose the chili for New Mexico. Because you got to remember, China is one of the biggest distributors of, of chilies in the world. And easily New Mexico could be crushed at any time. So it's, it's very vital that we keep the crops growing in New Mexico and support any way we definitely can. Right. So the more people we get to learn about the chili, the more, more people we can get in the menu. And the more we can get it over on the southeast you know, region of the, of the, of the U.S. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure you have the problem of people coming in thinking that you're Mexican and not new Mexican. And yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there, there's, there's ties to it all, you know. And again, they, new Mexican, they don't like to be called Mexican and vice versa, blah, blah, blah. But uh, they take pride in what they do. They take pride in their food, you know. But there's ties to a lot of things coming into New Mexico. And, they, you know, if you look back through the Santa Fe Trail, and all the, um, the food and commodities that were brought in and all the different, this, the, the Mediterranean, the Spanish, and all the influences that were in New Mexico at the time to really give it the, the cuisine that it is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about more about the restaurant, the menu, and the food. Hi, Gordon. What you been up to? Big things, Fred. I'm a full-time student at bartending college. Wow. I never had time for a formal education. Well, I decided to make time, but it's not easy. Bartending college is a four-week course. Gee, how far along are you? Well, let's see. This is Tuesday, the third week. Hey, I'm a junior, and I'm late for a daiquiri lecture. Why don't you join me? Why not? Bartending college. You've already spent enough time on the other side of the bar to qualify for enrollment. Bartending college. We'll teach you everything you need to know. You'll get a starter set of bartenders jokes like, So I says to the guy, you can stay, but the cow's gotta go. (laughs) Bartending college. You'll learn how to roll drunks, water the liquor, and skim the cash register. And remember, as the bartender, you drink for free. free. Last call for integrity. Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. We're here with Ray Smith, the owner of New Mex Chili, and New Mex is one of my favorite restaurants. It's not Mexican. It's New Mexican. Not Mexican. But if you love Mexican, you will love New Mexican. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. And we were, you know, we talked about the Hatch Chilies, how they are uh, one of the defining ingredients in New Mexican food. Uh, but you will find things like tacos and burritos. But there's also the chili, which is one of my favorites. Yes, I love the machaca. Yeah, the machaca is really good. Yes, it's delicious. It's marinated in our green chili, which makes it even better. And it's even better the next day. It's got even more of a bite when you I let agree, it sit. I agree, I agree. I think a lot of things in, in general, I think the next day or, or later on when they're kind of warmer, kind of bring out the flavors a little bit better for me personally. What amazes yeah. me so much about the machaca is it, it seems like you're eating pork because it's so moist and yes. it's so tender. It's got so much flavor, yet it's, it's like a shredded beef. And it, you know, the beef, it's a beef terrace. So, I mean, I've never really had too much beef terrace until we started making the machaca. Beef terrace? Yeah, it's a beef terrace, yeah. That's the actual meat. Yeah. Well, I thought you said terrorist. <laughs> oh, beef, beef terrorist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there could be Those a are like, beef terrorist they're, out there. They're somewhere. like probably the least worst terrorist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How, how, do you, uh, how do you come up with the recipes? 
When I went out to New Mexico in my ventures out there, just kind of experimenting with the chilies and kind of learning the, the culture and the concept, I ended up going to the, I think I mentioned this earlier, going to the cooking school of Santa Fe. Towards the end, I did a three-day boot camp out there. And then I came back on my last trip and worked with two of the chefs out there. And we just, just cooked for four days. And we just came up with a menu. That's awesome. And I kind of brought it back in here. It wasn't completely done. Not until we really got into cooking out here, doing more test kitchen throughout those six months before we opened and just kind of just started playing with everything and just uh, testing meats and testing uh, different concepts and just Machaca just made the list. We use a company called Turtle Beach. You don't see them a lot, but they're, they're starting to make their mark in the area and definitely their meats. They got a lot of all natural meats. And you have a couple of burgers on the menu too. We do. We actually have two burgers. One is the green chili cheeseburger, which is a huge staple in New Mexico. Um, we also have the monster burger. We basically just add an egg to it and something called uh, Sir Frito, which is a mix of peppers. In the beginning, you didn't have tacos on the menu, but now you do, I guess by popular demand, no? Um, yeah, that of course. Um, what we did is like the, all the plates, the machaca plate, the carne adobada plate, the tacos shells came on the side, the corn tortillas or the flour tortillas. So it was more like a homemade kind of make it yourself kind of taco deconstructed um, yeah exactly tacos people love tacos i mean you they just want them so you gotta have them nobody hates yeah. tacos that's no. for sure and almost everybody loves them your tacos made our top 10 taco list top 10 taco list in no particular order correct right <laughs> well alphabetical order. so we're number one <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> they are excellent another cool thing you guys have you have hatched chili wine, a white and a red. Any foodie, as soon as they see something that's a wine that's not made of grapes, is usually like, yeah, right. But we tried it, tried them both, and they were great. Yeah, I think the, the hatch wines add to the story of the restaurant. Being with your red and your white, your, your red is more like a port. Your white is more like a, as Lori corrected me, it was more like a... Sauvignon like Blanc, Pinot Grigio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. I mean, they just add a distinct flavor. I think people up to this point have kind of been either they love it or they hate it. But I think more people have loved it since we've, uh, since we brought it out. Yeah. You have those for sale as well. Correct. For sale. bottles as well as you have the hatch chili, the uh, green roasted chilies. Yeah. Jarred as well. Yeah. Correct. And I always have a jar here. Yes. At least one. You should always have a jar of chilies. <laughs> you guys also have a brunch that is very unique. Yeah, we started brunch about, uh, I think it's been closer to three months, four months ago. Sundays from 11 to 4. We do live music out there. Uh, we started off with maybe four or five things, and we just kind of added to the menu. I think we do a total of maybe eight or nine items right now. One of our biggest being the uh, Eggs Benedict. Uh, the Eggs Benedict with the shrimp creole on top and has the arepas on the bottom. Yeah, that was excellent. I, I had that. Actually, all of the brunch items are, you should go hungry. Yeah, it's kind of unique. Yeah to the, the food. We wanted to make things just a little bit different than your, than your norm, but still have an option to get, you know, eggs if you wanted eggs, you know, scrambled eggs or sunny side up or whatever you wanted to get. But one of the other bigger things, uh, which is also a huge staple in New Mexico, is the green chili breakfast burrito, which is stuffed with uh, eggs, beef, chorizo, potatoes, and topped with, uh, you know, red or green sauce. And it's bigger than your head. It is. It's huge. <laughs> do you do mimosas with your brunch? Or? Yeah, we do mimosas. We don't do, a, a, you know, like bottomless, but right. we, we definitely do. I don't think we cater to that, that, that bunch yet. And there are Bloody Marys as well? <laughs> yes. Yes. All wine base Bloody Marys. Yeah, but ex still excellent. Yeah, yeah very mm -hmm. good. Yeah. 
And for Kevin to say that, that's a big deal. He's the Bloody Mary King, too. Yeah, even with our margaritas, I wanted to make sure that they had an authentic taste to them. So I wanted to make sure that the mixes, really, it's about the mixes. You want to make sure that the mixes were right. So, Ray, uh, before we wrap up, for new mechs, is there any, what's coming down the road? You know, I think right now, the first year, we just wanted to kind of get the food right, uh, get the atmosphere right, and just kind of get everything moving uh, within the restaurant. The second year, we want to kind of focus on a lot more on marketing and kind of still getting our name out there. We're still new. We're not even a year old now. We're coming up on that in the next month or so. So, you know, next year with all the marketing that we're doing, getting us out to, to you know, a broader audience, uh, hopefully we can grow the concept. We're, we're in the midst of a menu change right now, so we can add a lot of the things that we've been trying, a lot more seafood the chili rianos we want to add to the menu. Uh, a lot of things in the next month or so that we want to add and change the menu. But um, along with that, also even looking at uh, pulling in a liquor license uh, moving into next season. Nice. Um, so and you never know. It could really be, nice. could be New Mex too, somewhere down the road. You never know. Oh. Uh, well, if you need any uh, taste testers, let us know. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so New Mex, it's in the Grand Central District of St. Pete. Located at? 2710 Central Avenue. And you can find them on the web at newmexchili.com. With an E on the end of chili. Yes, Kevin. An e, right. Not an Never I. Never put an I. Yes. And it's <laughs> N-U-M-E-X-C-H-I-L-E.com. Ray, thank you. Thank you, Ray. I want to thank you guys, too. Also, like I said, it's been a great pleasure watching you guys grow in the community and help all the smaller restaurants, bigger restaurants. It's a great joy to see you guys do what you do, and I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. We like Thank helping you. the restaurants grow while, while our waistlines grow. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back. This is Chris Walker, and you're listening to Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our music segments showcase local artists from the Tampa Bay area. On today's show, we will be listening to Justino and the Difference. Be the Difference. Yeah, Justino and the Difference, they are a progressive fusion rock jazz band. Hence the word fusion, I guess, covers all that. First, we're going to have the Fast Five Foodies questions answered by Justino and his bandmate Jason. And then he will actually introduce the song and tell us about it. We're here with Justino from Justino and the Difference. Uh-huh. And Jason is one of the ones that helps make the difference. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the right thing to say. Thanks for having us. So, uh, the foodies questions. You ready? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Okay. What's your favorite food? Italian food is my favorite, but Japanese and barbecue are up there for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I'm down with all those. Uh, probably just straight up hamburgers. <laughs> really? <laughs> hamburgers. Super Go. boring. Get it, buddy. Hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. What's your favorite restaurant in St. Pete? I, I have a lot. Um, Natalie's is probably my favorite, the uh, Thai Mexican fusion mm-hmm. restaurant. Uh, they just relocated um, in Bodega. That's where this coffee is from. Uh, engine number nine for me. Engine number nine. Yeah. Yeah. Burgers went, goes along with burgers. Yeah, I know, we went, right? <laughs> we went there the other day. So, salt or pepper? Pepper for me. Pepper. Pepper. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm right. a pe- I'm a are you on the pepper side? I'm a pepper too. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't like the apparent taste of salt. Like, I'm an unsalted pretzel <laughs> guy, or like when like 
the obvious taste of salt on French fries or something is like not good to me, but I know it's essential for mm-hmm. cooking. You know, right. that's be- just me. It's better if you don't know it's there. I thought we right, were saying yeah. which girl in the band we thought was cuter. Oh, def- <laughs> definitely Pepper. Hundred no. <laughs> percent. So cilantro, love it or it tastes like soap? I'm in on cilantro. I like it. I don't know what cilantro is. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. If you if Nitalis is one of your favorites, you definitely have to be down with cilantro. Oh yeah, man, that place is amazing. It's uh, I can't wait until they reopen. It's an herb that's used a lot in Mexican food and Indian food, and probably some others as well. Mm. And some people, like Lori, this is how this question came up, Lori. have a particular gene that makes cilantro taste like soap. Yeah, I've heard that a lot of, of like, it tastes like soap to me. I don't, it tastes leafy and delicious to me. Yeah, I, I, I didn't hear it until I met her. So, Justino, can you cook? Uh, to a chef, probably not. But, yeah, I, I can cook basic stuff. You can, you can survive if there were no restaurants open at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. How about you, Jason? Absolutely not. <laughs> not even close. So, Justina, what what do you cook? Do you have any favorites? My, like my, you know, my family's from Italy, so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with Italian food. I like, you know, I'm pretty in on the bowl trend mm-hmm. of like just chopping stuff up, and putting it in a bowl. I can grill a little bit. You know, I I grew up with the best of both worlds. My mom, her family's from Italy, so you know that we had all that great Italian cooking. And my dad's like the grill champ. You know, cool. so I had a nice balance. But uh, fancy stuff, I'm out. I'm out on that. Yeah, that's okay. Thai food or something. Yeah. <laughs> so we have uh, a song that we're gonna yeah play from from Justino and the Difference. Yeah. It's uh, something about small, small. Yeah. Um, I'll try to keep it short. It's it's a it's a happy sad song. <laughs> it's it's uh it's about a, a basically a year I had where I had this really good year where I was touring a lot and doing a lot of cool things, and then uh, I had a realization of like being back home and like being in a small bar and just doing my thing. And like, you know, uh, when you're in a small bar, usually nobody's listening to you, but then you go out and you do some big show and it's this cool thing. So this, the song is basically just the balance of those two things of like staying humble where you are, but having growth at the same time, you know? Yeah, that's cool. And the title is when smaller becomes small. Thanks for being here guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. search for purpose is this vanity or sincerity unconditional love but motivated is this real or am i dreaming it's not uncommon to miss the chance to be a rose in the garlic Observation Is this what I'm trying to be? Unrelatable
this real or am I dreaming? It's not uncommon to miss the chance to be a rose in the garlic patch. A common game of shoots and ladders when smaller becomes small. Once again, that was Justino and the Difference performing their original tune, When Smaller Becomes Small. Now, welcome to our Lunchbox segment. Today we're having lunch from Stillwater's Tavern on Beach Drive in downtown St. Pete, and I'm having one of my favorites, the Shrimp and Grits. That, in general, is one of my favorites, and Stillwater's is one of my favorites to have Shrimp and Grits at. Yeah, you could turn into a shrimp, (laughs) or a taco one, anyway. So they had the, the Key West pink shrimp and grits it's actually on the brunch lunch and dinner menu so you can get it any time of day which i love that too one of the major differences with their shrimp and grits is there's uh, less liquid others are a little more on the soupy side with this one you could probably eat it with chopsticks which ties in with my overall impression i don't know if it's just the scallions alone or if there's more to it than meets the menu description but my overall takeaway was kind of an asian twist and i liked it and the, what they have on the menu for ingredients is Bradley's Country Store Cheddar Grits, Creole Wine, Butter, Okra, Andouille, and Scallions. And yum. Well, get eating already. 
Yeah, I decided uh, to go with the New England clam chowder today. I love Stillwaters for their soups. They always have a featured soup of the day, which typically I end up getting, but the New England clam chowder is always on the menu, and it's so, so good. It's very authentic to New England clam chowder and just delicious. Creamy, creamy deliciousness. All of their soups are amazing. So while we have lunch, we also like to read our mail. Our Lunchbox segment is where we read opinions and answer questions from our listeners. Please email us at lunchbox at stpetersburgfoodies.com with your opinions, feedback, and questions to be featured in this segment. Hey, this is Gloria West of Gloria West and the Gents, and you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. This week's St. Petersburg Foodies Tip of the Week is regarding uh, entertaining uh, in a restaurant, whether it's a, a business dinner or it could even be uh, on a date if you want to impress your date. Usually it would be the guy doing this, by the way. But this comes from uh, one of my favorite books from way back in 1988 titled Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, authored by Harvey McKay. And I think the chapter in this book was titled something like uh, How to Make Any Restaurant Your Own Private Club. Because back in the old days, they had private clubs and you had an account and you just got a monthly bill and you paid for stuff that way instead of a check coming to the table. So here's how you can do this to, and it, it sounds like a little thing, but it actually, it, it's pretty impressive. I've done it uh, as recently as last year and when my biggest client was in town and they were actually quite impressed. They were, they were wondering, how, how did we just, how are we able to just get up and walk away without a check coming? And the simple answer is you just make uh, arrangements in advance. Back when the book came out, that was when the credit cards were put on a some device with a carbon paper, and then you could you sign it, and you could tell them, just fill in the blanks later after we're gone. Obviously, we don't have those anymore, so the restaurant would have to have some kind of trust in you, or you give them a deposit, maybe uh, give them some cash up front, and then settle up later. But that's that's the idea, is arrangements in advance, way before the business dinner or date, and so they, they know that when you're done... They're not going to bring a check to the table. So try it and see how it goes and then uh, let us know. You can send us an email at uh, info at stpetersburgfoodies.com or comment on, on the show wherever you listen. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our guests and thanks to our sponsors. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our intro music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other podcast app, please give us a rating. And also remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. I like pizza.